I think wholesaling is an excellent opportunity to start getting into the realm of real estate investing. I also think it's a great way to be supplemental or in addition to what other aspects that you may be doing or investing. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today we have Marco A. Romero. Hey, hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Hey, Marco, one thing that we're definitely going to touch on. So if you're listening, if you're watching, this is important. How did Marco build a portfolio, a rental portfolio with no money out of pocket? What he's doing is he's getting private money lenders to cover the purchase price, private money lenders to cover the closing costs, private money lenders to cover the rehab budget. So these properties, and you have like 20 something of them, right? Yes. These properties are literally no money out of pocket and he's got a whole portfolio of them. What we'll also talk about, because he and his wife, they stopped, they both exited their businesses three years ago, almost to the day, a little past three years ago. And they started these two companies. One of them is Bella Buyers. I'm talking about, this is how you buy properties with OPM, like none of your own money. So you want to listen to this video. You want to watch this video. Also, they started one that's called Hilco Homes, where they're wholesaling the out of San Antonio. It's incredible. Marco, how did you guys get started three years ago, almost to the day, into real estate? And also, why? How and why did you do this? Well, hey, I'm excited to be on the show here, Adam, with you. It looks like we already have a good amount of people watching live. For me personally, I had always wanted to get into investing in real estate. I originally read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in high school. So that really fundamentally changed the way that I had an outlook on investing, the future, finances, money, those type of things. And I had become an agent finding investment properties for investors almost 10 years ago. And I had worked with a number of different companies. I eventually landed at a company where I was running their acquisition team here in Central Texas. They focus on Central Texas and the Waco area. And I had an acquisition team of nine guys and we were really rocking and rolling. And at that time, I had met my wife, Hillary Romero. We knew it was meant to be. And she eventually got to a point where she wanted to quit her job. And at that point, I proposed to her. We were planning to get married. And with that happening, there was a lot of reflection on like what the future was going to be like for both of us. And we were at our honeymoon. And prior to our honeymoon, we found out that she was pregnant with our first daughter, which we were excited to have her coming. I had just gotten married. We had a daughter on the way. My wife wanted to quit her job. And so we had a, our honeymoon. We had a conversation and I decided to quit my job too. And we decided to start our companies together. And we said, all right, January 1st, 2016 is when we're going to hit the ground running. And I had helped so many other people through working as a wholesaler, as an agent, finding other people deals. And I just sat down and said, you know what? I need to find some investment properties for myself and my family, given the new trajectory that I was on. And so I just started working at it. First thing I was doing was looking for deals. And then where I was kind of scared and hesitant in the past to even mention to family and friends that 
you know, hey, I want to do deals. I said, you know what, I'm going to just bite the bullet and start talking to people. And we found our first deal and our first person actually wasn't a private lender. He was a partner. There's a little bit of a difference, but he was our, basically our money man. And he said, yeah, I'll give you all the money if you bring the deal. And he actually was an old friend of mine. We'd known each other for, at that time, probably about seven years. And that led to our first deal. And since then, we've just been talking to more people, finding more deals, and we've done everything through private money. All right. So I've got you quoted here. Well, someone else quoted your first partner. It says, I'll bring all the money if you bring the deal. How in the heck did you find this person? How did you even talk to him about this being a possibility? Like, I don't have the money. You do have the money. Let's partner up. So how did that conversation really go? So this is somebody that it was a friend of mine. And typically when you are starting and you have no network as far as private lenders or other people giving you money, you got to start with your network that you have, family and friends. He was a friend of mine. We actually went to the same high school, even though we didn't go at the same time. And we even worked together in the past. And he had always known that I was interested in real estate. Real estate was a big part of what, who I was and what I was doing and, and the future I was going on. And I just said, hey, you know what? Just like I was going through that big shift in my life, I told him, I was like, hey, you know what? I'm serious about looking for some deals now. My wife and we just quit. This is a serious thing for us. And we're looking for some people that would be interested in working with us if we found the right deal. And he said, you know what? I have X amount of money. I think it was like 40 grand. If you can find a good deal, then yeah, let's do it. So there was a little bit of planting the seed previously because he had known that I wanted to be in real estate. But when I actually said, hey, you know, I'm serious about this and I'm going to be finding a deal, that's when he, I was able to get some serious conversation back for him as well, saying that he was interested and he'd be willing to do it. And as far as the deal, we found it on MLS actually. Wow. Okay. So you were running an acquisition team for years and you had nine people underneath you, but when you decided to buy your own property, you went to the MLS? Right. Because you know, I quit. It was down to me. And prior to me working in that company, I was a, a wholesaler. But I had worked at the company for a number of years now that when I quit, I was basically starting from scratch. I had no leads. You know, I definitely had a network, but a lot of the people I've been in communication with were I was trying to buy from them, you know, working with that company. So a lot of the seller leads I had basically were old and, and didn't have anything. So I had to start somewhere where I could get to leads quickly. So the two places I started was communicating with other wholesalers in the market and then MLS. And so MLS, I just went through and started qualifying the deals, you know, one by one by one, the potential listings out there. And then calling them up and negotiating right out the gate. And this was one that I found on the east side of San Antonio, which is not the best area of San Antonio, but the properties are really affordable, really low price point. And they were actually selling it for 40000 And I negotiated them down to 30000 I told them we could pay cash. And then we were able to struck the deal. I talked to my friend and said, hey, I got this deal. He could commit forty grand, So I had a little bit of room to pay for the closing costs and a little bit of room to rehab it, which it didn't need very much rehab. And that's how we kind of put the deal together. Okay, perfect. So you've done all sorts of properties. You've done owner financing, 
seller carry stuff. You've also done properties where you've done the burr strategy. You actually buy it, but you don't have to use your own money. You use someone else's money and then refi out their money. So I have two questions that I have in mind for you. And I think we'll learn a lot. The first one is what were the steps that you got into first to find off-market deals? Like you went in first to get this other deal off the MLS, but what was your very first strategy as an experienced acquisition specialist to get off-market deals? I had the previous experience of being a wholesaler. So prior to me working with that company, I was wholesaling independently for a while. So I knew how to find deals and you know, I had supported myself independently for a long time. So I wasn't concerned about that. My approach when I was starting from scratch was MLS and wholesaling or wholesalers, basically mm-hmm. looking for leverage points because yeah, I can go put out bandit signs, which I eventually did and do direct mail and driving for dollars, those type of things. But I was trying to get a deal quickly And so I was looking for points of leverage. And those for me were looking on MLS and searching those deals. And then I knew I was an effective negotiator. So even if the deals were listed at a higher price point, I just needed them to be relatively close to the range I needed them to be at. And then I knew I could, you know, negotiate and maybe not win on all of them, but I would win on one. And then I was also talking to all the wholesalers. What do you got? Send me what you got. Send me what you got. But after we got that deal and then some other, our second deal came from a bandit sign. After that, what my wife and I really did was every Saturday, we got in the car for like three months, literally every Saturday. We get in the car and, you know, she was pregnant, you know, had her notepad in the passenger seat. I was driving and we went driving for dollars all day, every Saturday for three months. And we built our own custom list that we eventually started mailing to. And, you know, we just really got into the nitty gritty, you know pulled up our bootstraps and did tried all the strategies, did everything we could because we were just trying to bring in the leads so that we could put deals together. Awesome. Marco, I have a couple more questions queued up. The more you talk, the more I want to pick your brain. But after sure. three years of being in the business, you kind of started with co-wholesaling. You started with putting out a bandit sign. Those started working for you. But after three years of being a successful at wholesales and also your other business where you're buying the rentals with other people's money, which we'll talk about here in a moment. What is the most effective way you found to acquire new properties? Now for us, it's working with other wholesalers. We with Hilco Homes, we're one of the larger wholesaling companies in San Antonio at this point. And so we have a pretty good reputation in town to move deals. On top of that, you know, my wife and I are purchasing deals. So we're also a buyer for a lot of wholesalers. Mm -hmm. But again, this goes back to, you know, leverage. If you can build yourself a network of wholesalers that are constantly looking for deals, spending their own money and their own time and their own energy to put out those bandit signs to send out mailers to door knock to scrape lists and all these different things. And if you're working with a team or a group of wholesalers that are all doing that, those are leverage points for you. So for now, at this point, deals are always being sent to us. And then with Hilco, we can help bring a buyer to them. Great. But also personally, Hillary and I are looking at them as well and and seeing if there's one that really makes sense from a number standpoint that we purchase personally. So our number one source is uh, working with other wholesalers. But, you know, there's a few other things that we do as well. Love it. All right. So you're co-wholesaling and that's one of the most efficient things for you to do. 
And I want to pause and share this learning point for the listener where if you're getting in a multifamily like what I'm doing, the best advice you can have is to niche, to either raise money or to just find the deal or to just manage. But don't try to do it all at the same time. You'll be more effective if you can niche down. Marco's found a way to niche down and to be able to provide a list to other wholesalers that are finding the deals. It allows him to be more effective doing what he's doing. And I think it's genius. So I love what we're getting at. All right. So what we're going to move into now, actually, you said you were a good negotiator. You mentioned that a couple minutes ago. You said, I found myself to be a really good negotiator. So, you know, I don't mind getting off market deals. So what I want to ask you though, is what strategies can you share about what makes a good negotiator to the listener? Sure. I can give a few points on that. First off, the very first thing when it comes to a conversation and negotiation is mindset. Too many people, when they go into these conversations, especially when they're first starting out, their goal is how can I get this house at a particular price because I want to wholesale it out or do whatever and I need to make money on it. And the perspective and the focus is getting that deal, getting that house and getting it at a particular price. And that, if you have that mindset, you're not going to be very successful on a high level. Instead, and it can cloud your mind. Instead, the focus needs to be on the actual seller themselves. There is a reason in which they are selling. There's some sort of motivation. There's a reason that they are talking to you and they're willing to sell their property. If you can find out what that reason is, what that motivation is, and typically what that problem is, and then help solve that problem working on behalf of that seller, working with them as a team, as a a solution generating individual for them, then they are going to view you rather than the enemy or somebody across from the table. Instead, they're going to look at you as almost a friend or a confidant or somebody that they can work with. And they're going to be more willing to you know, meet the price point that's needed to make the deal work a win-win because they know that you are working with them rather than against them in a sense to make a deal happen. A few other tips in that regard is when it comes to negotiation, there's a big thought that, hey, Everything's going to come down to one conversation. In that conversation, maybe they're sitting across the table. You need to get them down to a particular price and either you walk away with a contract or you don't. And the reality is negotiation is actually a series of conversations. Whereas instead of trying to get a big chunk from wherever they're starting at to wherever you need to be all in one conversation, instead what you're trying to achieve is chiseling Well, every conversation that you have with them, you get five grand off, two grand off, 10 grand off, 15 grand off. And when you add up all those little chisels across a series of conversations, which may be four, five, six plus, then ultimately you eventually move them to the price point you need to be at. That's another really big one. If you have those two mindsets, it'll really help. There's plenty more, but that's what I'd say. Perfect. So I've got a couple that I took away. Absolutely. One of the things that you said here was, The focus needs to be on the seller themselves. I know that that's a problem that's happened all the time. People get in there, the new wholesaler or even some of the experienced wholesalers, they, in their mind, they're like, man, I need to get this price. I need to make sure that I can get it at 70% ARV, blah, 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 minus rehab. And they have like this formula and it's like, you got to do this or we're not going to do this. And they go in just thinking about themselves. When what you're saying is you have to actually take a little bit of time with the seller, get to know them, focus on their needs. And that's when you're able to understand 
how to offer them a solution. The other thing that I took away is it's a series of questions. It's a series of conversations. You don't have to go all the way to what you need to do in the first one. We had another live podcast recently and we talked about, you know, courting, dating. You don't just meet somebody for the first time and say, will you marry me? It's ridiculous. You'll get slapped right in the face. And the same thing is what you're really sharing here. It's a series of different conversations. It's trying to understand the other person, not focused on yourself. And you kind of slowly chisel that away until you come to a deal that makes sense. And that's when you propose your price. Is that right? Totally. There's other little techniques that I use. I'll ask them to grab a pen and paper before I go over details. And I'll literally say, hey, can you grab a pen and paper? And then I'll wait. Even if it's an awkward one, two, three, five minutes and when they're rustling through. Because there's a few reasons for that. Whatever I'm about to say, whether it's the offer price or my process or how long the time frame is going to take, I want them to be writing it down. When they're writing it down, it sticks in their mind a little bit more. My offer sticks out more. There's clear understanding of what is being presented and what's being agreed upon. Especially down the road, they can't necessarily say, oh, you didn't mention that. No, hey, you wrote it down. The other thing too is if they write it down on a piece of paper and you hang up and they put that, that paper's on their kitchen table, every time they walk by it, they're going to think of you. They're going to think of your offer. And little things like that, especially when they're talking to multiple buyers, can set you apart. Another thing that I do is I utilize silence. Silence is huge. Even if it's awkward silence, what you'll notice is that a lot of people, silence is awkward for a lot of people. Did you feel that right there? That was a pause. That was awkward in itself. And it can be very powerful if you use it particularly and specifically. So whenever I present an offer, I'll say, hey, you know, for this property, I need to be in the high 60s or I need to be at 100 to 105,000. Is that something that will work for you? I will stop, pause and be quiet and wait for them. I will not respond. They have to be the next one to talk. And that will allow them time to process what you're saying for them to think about all their different situations, the credit card bill they have, the mortgage they have, their sister that they have to get on the same page, the conversation they're going to have. They mentally work through that. You need to be silent for them to do that. When you interrupt that thought process, you minimize your chances of getting acceptance. So there's just little things like that. All right. So will you grab a pen and paper? That way they have the piece of pen and paper and they can keep seeing it every time they go by and they're not going to pretend like you said some other number, higher or lower. And then also you utilize the silence. And yeah, that was good because when you had even a short silence, it wasn't even a couple of seconds yet. And I was like, oh, am I supposed to talk right now? So yeah, very, very interesting. Fabio asks, Marco, do you think wholesaling is a good path to getting into multifamily? Do you think wholesaling is a good path to getting into multifamily? So I'm biased. I think wholesaling is an excellent opportunity to start getting into the realm of real estate investing. I also think it's a great way to be supplemental or in addition to what other aspects that you may be doing or investing. And the skills that you gain and learn from wholesaling can be applied to higher level projects. Like for me personally, Hillary, my wife, up until 2019, we've only done single family homes. And this year we bought our first seven unit apartment complex. We're working to buy our next multifamily apartment complex. But we plan to use our skills in the wholesaling front 
to help us source deals in the multifamily front, like those negotiation techniques I just mentioned are universal. And so if I'm talking to a seller that has a 20 unit, I can still implement these same techniques to help me in that regard. But ultimately, yes, I think wholesaling is a great opportunity to where you can make large sums of money that can only help further your investing career. But additionally, it's going to help you build the context to other players in your market, buyers, investors, developers. And then lastly, build the skills that are necessary for you to have longevity in this business. So my answer is yes. Okay, great. Very, very interesting. I would have been on the other side of the boat, so I'm glad that you were there and able to share that. Fabio has actually a follow-up question then. Knowing that wholesaling is a good path, in your opinion, because you're building all those skills that are important to be able to go to the next level, they are universal skills, as you said. What do you recommend the path to be then? In general? That's what I have to go off of. Yes, in general. On the path that I've taken, I think is a good one. Now, I know there's a lot of ways that you can shortcut, you know, like multifamily. There's a lot of people that skip everything and go straight to 100-unit apartment complex syndication. And there's all kinds of different routes. There's mobile homes and those type of things. But for me personally, the path that I took, I like the path that we're on. I like that we're building some strong fundamentals. I think it's an approach for a long-term situation, which was we started off with whole, we, you know, keep in mind, we both quit. So we had no income. The wholesaling, even if we did get that, you know, our property, one property, it's cash flowing $200 a month. We're not going to be able to live on that. So wholesaling was a great way for us to generate some quick money, active income that we could live on. And if we did it well, there would be some leftover that we could put it in our pocket and then move towards a future investment. We slowly started acquiring single family homes to increase our passive income because wholesaling is a job. Do not get that mixed up. A lot of people think of it as a form of investing. It's a job. You got to trade your time in for money. The ultimate goal is to get passive income where the money's coming in regardless of you working or not. So as we're building our passive income, we also have actively been wholesaling. And now we're trying to get into larger projects, multifamily properties so that we can build that passive income more and more. And then from our wholesaling standpoint, we're transitioning to where I don't wholesale anymore. I don't do it. Now I have a company that does it and we have a team that wholesales. So we're trying to make that for Hillary and I a passive income source as well. So that's my overall answer for that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we want to dive in now to really understanding how you're implementing this strategy of doing burr and not having to use any of your money. I think this is something almost nobody's heard of before. And I don't know what questions to ask you, to be honest. I think that you just need to teach me how to do this. Sure. So first off, I tell everybody, everybody has access to private lending. They just need to understand how to be able to find it and tap into it. So first off, I tell everybody, make a long list. Make a list of family, friends, old co-workers, people at church, friends of people of church, family, friends, people you went to high school with, people that were friends back in the day you're not even talking to anymore. Make a long list. Now, as you're making this list, your mind is immediately going to start going in negative direction. Like, oh, that person doesn't have money, that person doesn't like me, you know, I'm awkward asking that person, you know, last time I talked to them, you know, whatever, right? You're going to have all these thoughts. 
That's not the point of this exercise. Just put down a list. Then what you need to do is call through each person, touch each person. And you're going to put them in one, one of three categories, which is they're a yes, they want to lend to you, they're a maybe, or they're a no. Even if they're a no, you put them on some sort of follow-up sequence. Just And a lot of people, they understand follow-up like they would follow up with seller leads. Hey, maybe they don't want to sell now, but they're going to call in a month. They're going to call in two months. It's the exact same thing with potential private lenders. For everybody in the yes and maybe camp, really what you're doing, and I did a Facebook video about this like three days ago where I really break this down. But you're going to talk to them and say, hey, I don't have a property right now, but I am looking for a property. It's 2019 or whatever is going on. Hey, for the summer, I'm really going to work to find an investment property. I don't have it yet, but I'm seriously looking at it. I'm talking to some agents. I'm talking to some wholesalers. I'm going to be seeing some deals. If I found one where the numbers made sense, would you be interested in working with me on it? Would you consider lending on it or being my money man or partnering on it? You can choose how you do the verbiage on that. And you're just trying to find out who are the yeses and who are the maybes. Then once you have that, actually go get some deals. This is where you're going to find out who's serious and who are just talkers. There's a lot of people that it's easy for them to say yes, but then when an actual deal presents itself, they're going to backpedal. And that's okay. Go get a deal from your own research, an agent, a wholesaler, whatever, and then say, hey, this one looks like a strong potential. Or even if it's not quite there yet and you're saying, hey, I plan on negotiating it further down you know, at 80,000, I think it's a solid deal at 70. If I can get it at 70, you know, would it work? But get that deal, present the numbers to them and say, hey, this is what my analysis looks like. This is my plan for rehab. This is my plan for purchase. This is kind of the turnaround. This is the area. This is why I like it. This is what the rent rates are or whatever. Would this be something that would work for you? And find out, okay, how much can you lend on it? Would you lend 50 grand, 80 grand, you know, 100 grand? Or you can present it to where I need 120,000 to make this deal work. Can you do 120,000? There's a little bit of, you know, give and take on how you present these things. And then you're going to find people that are yeses. And you just keep doing this over and over and over. Now, if you come in with the expectation that the first deal that you bring, you're going to get it all lined up and you're going to get the money and everything, that's not proper expectation. That's not realistic. And that likely isn't going to happen. But if you build a consistent method of presenting deals like this by maybe deal 12, maybe deal 20, you got some serious people and you got the money. So that's how I would suggest putting the deals together. Okay, so step one is to make the list. So what we're really doing here is before we even get into the rest of doing these BRRRR strategy, we want to talk about private money lending. We want to know how to find it. And we want to know how to tap into it. So step one was to make a list. Step two is to call every single person and put them in a category of yes, no, or maybe. And the no's don't go off the list. That's something that surprised me. The no's don't just disappear. The no's Nobody all- ever goes off your list. I they love always it. are just pushed up. Even if they're like, fuck off. I never want to talk to you. Don't ever bring this up. I'll probably follow up with them in six months or Perfect. a year. Whatever is appropriate. And now I have to put explicit on my podcast. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I got to make it fun. I got to liven it up <laughs> a little bit. All right. So, and then number three was to follow up with each of those people and find the deals, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Find the deals. Start looking for deals. Present okay. real life tangible examples that they can apply their thoughts to because everything is in the abstract when you present an idea. But when you have a real deal, then you're going to know who's serious and who's not. And then you know who's to kind of focus on with your deal to try and put it together. Between your yes, no's, and maybe's, 
are you doing all this over the phone? Are you doing any of this on email? By chance, are you going to lunch with them? Well, how does that look? So in the beginning phases, it's best to do it in person. Face-to-face is always the highest level of being able to kind of present an idea or negotiate or pitch something, okay? Okay. That's definitely what I would suggest in the beginning. The next level is phone call. Phone call, you can have an intonation. You can definitely present something. You can utilize silence, things like that. That will help as well. But after you get comfortable and you build a relationship with people, I do this through text message and emails all the time. So whatever's comfortable for that person, I would say lean more on the in-person and phone scenarios first when you're first starting out. And then once you build relationships, you get a little more comfortable, confident, and experienced. Then you can do more of the texting and email. Okay. So with the texting and email, let me know, let us know, because we're very curious. Is this something that's automated? Like, do you send a, a sly text? Or it can be so in Bella Buyers, it's just my wife and I. There's definitely realms in which we there can be automated components, but now in its simplest form, what we do now is whenever a deal comes up that looks like a strong potential, I'm actually doing it right now on a multifamily. I do an email blast of the deal and all the details I have on it, some photos, just like I would if I were wholesaling a property, but it's tailor-made for a private lender. Okay. As photos of the property, anticipated purchase price, what I think a conservative rehab will be, the general numbers in a multifamily scenario, maybe what the NOI is and projections, things like that. Single family house, you know, what you think the market rate would be, you know, a little explanation of what the rehab, this one needs foundation, roof repair, and then we're going to put in a new AC and then cosmetic. General information of that. And then I tell them what I'm looking for for the loan. Now, in the beginning phases, I was kind of like, I'll take whatever I can get. What would you like? But now I try and present it as like, this is what I need. And if somebody you know, wants a higher interest rate or whatever, I'll have a one-on-one conversation with them about it. And I suggest that you present it that way. But I'll say, hey, I, for this house, I need you know, 88000 Actually, our most recent one we did, I said I needed 55000 for it and I could pay 8.25%. No, actually, it was 8.5% on it amortized over 30 years. I asked for a minimum balloon of three years on the note. And the purchase price on that one was 48, but I negotiated down to 47. So I left a little room for a rehab budget and it was already rented at 795. So I put all that in the email, sent it out. Then I go through and touch all those yeses and maybes. I'll call them, I'll text them. I say, hey, I sent this one out. Did you see it? I'm looking for 55,000 on it. And then I'll just start the conversation one by one. And then I start getting people that are kind of interested or whatever until finally somebody says, you know what, I got the funds. And on that one, I had a few people that were interested. One of the ladies said, I said, hey, I'm going to go look at it on Saturday or whatever day it was. Do you want to come with me? She went to the property with me, walked it with me. We walked through it. And then that afternoon she said, yeah, we'll do the deal. So that's kind of how you do it. Very interesting. I have a follow-up question. You mentioned that you had an 8.5% amortized loan. I expect the payment to be kind of high on an 8.5% amortized loan. Why wouldn't you do interest-only loan instead? I found that the lenders kind of like it a little bit better that way, that it's formulated with principal and interest. I can do interest, but you know, there's a little bit of principal pay down that kind of helps on our regard whenever we refinance. That's such a small 
tweak that it really doesn't matter whenever you refinance or sell within like a three-year time frame. I just, for simplicity standpoint and the kind of the context of the lender, we found that works best. So that's how we've done it for everything. Okay, got it, got it. All right, so now we're still wanting to talk about these private money lending, how you can buy your rentals with OPM, do your BRRRR strategy where somebody else funds the rehab, somebody else funds the closing costs, someone else funds the down payment. What I really want to know is kind of if on a higher level to explain the process when you find the deal, what you're doing for rehab, when you're actually putting in the money and when you're refinancing, what it looks like kind of in 30 to 60 seconds, what does a 10-year picture kind of look like? Our 10-year picture is we are basically building kind of an assembly line to where we buy these properties, we rehab them, we rent them for X amount of years. And the goal is to sell them off, hopefully 1031, all of them 1031, and then get bigger projects and then fundamentally be only in multifamily deals or in bigger projects. So constantly trading in the small ones to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And also with their private lenders by building that consistent record of continuously being profitable and literally making it mailbox money for them, passive, like seriously passive for them, then they'll want to invest more and they'll have their friends invest more and there'll be a snowball effect for us to do more projects, bigger projects. Perfect. So you buy rehab, rent, refi, repeat, and 1031. That's the process? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Let's just say when you are going to 1031, let's talk about what year it is and what you expect to buy. So 1031, we're definitely going to do this year. We're not at a point yet where we can't touch those funds. You know, with Hilco, our wholesaling company, all the money that we can use can bring in more deals and those type of things. So we're not quite there yet to not use it, but it will happen this year, probably three or four sales from now. The goal completely is to get into multifamily. So right now we have 18 single family homes and we have a sevenplex apartment complex. We want to ultimately be at a point where we don't have any single family and we're in the multifamily game. How many doors would you like to have then? The first target is 50. That's our first target. Our passive income goal is just under 13,000. It's like 12,916 bucks. That's our passive income goal. It's a very interesting passive income goal that you wouldn't pick 1250 or 13. Well, or it's 155,000 divided by 12. And there's okay. 67 cents in there too, I left out. And 67 cents, of course. Yeah, why wouldn't we have 67 cents in there? All right, perfect. So let's get into the final five. And first, a word from our sponsors. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Ecospace Real Estate. Ecospace is a Denver, Colorado-based real estate company with a national reach. They provide a unique offering called Flip Your Home, where they utilize their own internal fix and flip crews to flip their clients' homes prior to listings. Their brokerage clients gain, on average, 23000 of instant equity, which is then taken 100% tax-free. If you'd like to learn more about gaining additional tax-free equity in your home prior to listing, then please visit ecospace.com. Mr. Marco Romero, what is the most creative deal you've ever done? Most creative deal? Probably the easiest one that was pretty creative was one of our private lenders. He had private lend to us two on two deals already. He is older in age. 
in his 80s. He was a broker himself and owned numerous properties. The reason he was getting into private lending was he was selling off his rental properties and wanted to become more passive. Well, one of his rental properties he wanted to sell and he sold it to us. We told him we could buy it, but we needed it at a significant discount, which he already knew because that's what we always looked for. And we would need for him to own or finance it to us. So we got him to sell us his own property where he owner financed us not only the purchase price of the property, but he also owner financed us the closing costs and the rehab for it. So he gave us through his own deal enough for the purchase, the closing costs and the rehab. Now this property was worth like 260 range. So this is like out of our normal bread and butter type deal. We're usually in the lower, lower price point homes because you get better cash flow typically in that realm. So, and he sold it to us like at 185. We had a budget to fix the property. I think it was like right around 30,000 or 35,000 to fix the property. And our plan was to fix it up and then put it on the market to sell and put it on the market to rent at the same time. And whichever happened first, great. Whichever happened, wonderful. Whichever occurred. Well, as we were going through the rehab process, we were walking with our contractors because we couldn't get in there fully because there was a tenant previously prior to the closing. As we were going on there, we were like, hey, let's just put it on the market to see what we could get as is to see if there'd be any interest just to kind of test the market prior to us fixing it fully and then putting it out there. Well, we got an offer that same day for, I think it was like 240 because we listed it at like 239.9. And so after we paid the guy back, we made like 30 grand or 40 grand and we basically did nothing to the property. It happened in like 60 days or whatever. And it was like, super easy deal and didn't cost us any money basically very little time we didn't do any rehab or anything to it and it was a really simple project and we don't typically do flips we focus on rentals but that one just kind of happened that way so it was it was a great one and it was a win-win for him he was happy to get the deal done we were happy to get the deal done and then we were off to the next one he's private lent to us on several deals since then so it was great what book do you recommend I highly recommend Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That definitely set me on my path when I was reading or when I made that mental change on our honeymoon in the Bahamas, I was reading The 4-Hour Workweek, which is a great book on automation. And then the most recent one is Crushing It by Gary Vaynerchuk. That The future is social media. If you can learn how to incorporate that for your business, that'd be great. Where were you five years ago from today? Five years ago, actually... Hillary and I had just met. I was just about to start my job, uh, the one that I left. I was wholesaling. It was just me and my dog against the world. I owned no properties. I knew how to wholesale, but I had a lot of self-doubt and I wanted to make something happen. I didn't know how to do it. And complete transformation since then. I think all the positive things that have happened in my life were because I met Hillary five years ago. And you're saying that because she's watching. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Where will you be five years from day? Definitely a multi... Well, we're already technically a multifamily investor, but really full force multifamily investor. I feel that we'll definitely have that passive income by then. I see our Hilco Homes company being in multiple markets and having a strong team. So I'm excited for the future. And beyond that, with our two children, they're currently two and a half and four months 
I'm just excited to see what their future is going to be like and their interactions and the dynamic of the family. I'm excited to have more free time to build and spend time with the family. That's what I'm truly excited about. Awesome. How do you give back? I try and give back through people. Like I'm all about doing things like this, being on social media as most of the people out there in the internet land know you can reach out to me anytime, all the time. I'm constantly trying to help people. I you know, have my own experience about trying to get started and make things happen and it isn't easy and there's so much to learn and so many pitfalls and things to avoid. And so I try and give back by helping people, by giving insights on what I've learned and what I'm still trying to learn and especially our team in Hilco Homes. I don't want them to be just wholesalers. I want them to be investors and I want us all to be living on passive income together and setting ourselves free from the rat race trap. So that's how I get back. All right. So we have Craig Hill who's asking, how did selling Cutco in college set you on this path? That's hilarious. Awesome, Craig. I appreciate that. Uh, Good to see you, by the way. Thank you for watching. Okay. So when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I was on the normal path of good grades in school, go to college, get good grades, get a good job, work for a long time, retire and live on your retirements. And I was actually great at school. You know, school came super easy to me. I was on this normal path. I had a full scholarship. Everything was great. When I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, that fundamentally changed how I thought about things, even to the dismay of my parents. You know, I ended up quitting college. But one of the key insights I got from that book was picking jobs not based on income or the timing or things like that, but picking jobs specifically for skill sets and talents that you wanted to develop for your future. And I knew I wanted to be an investor, a businessman. And I was an introvert at heart. So I knew number one, hands down, I needed to learn sales. So my very first job was Cutco selling knives, not door to door, but I would go to people's houses and cut things and and sell them. And that's where I learned to come out of my shell, how to sell wonderful experience. I definitely could have been better in a lot of ways. But I learned so much on how to present a sale, how to negotiate, how to listen to the other person, and so many other things that I've taken with me up until now. Awesome. All right. We went long today, guys. This is twice what we normally do. The episodes are usually really short. Marco, you had a ton of information. I learned a lot, and I'm grateful that you came on the show. How do people reach you? How do they find you? I've loved being on the show. So thank you for having me and everyone watching. You definitely can reach out to me a few different ways. On Facebook is my best platform. You can look for me personally, Marco A. Romero. You can also message me through our companies, mainly Hilco Homes, at Hilco Homes on Facebook, Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel as well and a podcast. So we put out a podcast every week. And then if you want to reach out on Bella Buyers, it's at Bella Buyers on Facebook. All right. Perfect. Love it. Thank you so much. And until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.